Howdy, online family. Thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Ryan Gagnon. We're going to be hearing today from Pastor Michael Lockstanfor as he continues our latest sermon series, What's the Church For? A study in 1 Timothy. We have prayed about how best to meet our community with the gospel message of Jesus. We believe this digital component is a way of meeting our community here on the internet. We hope God uses it to encourage and challenge you. We also encourage you to serve a local church body. Remember, you can't be the church by yourself. Worship is one of those terms most everyone is familiar with. They may not even think of it in religious terms. In the context of a church body, what role does worship play? What is it for? Why do we do it in the first place? Pastor Michael helps us this week dive deep into these questions through 1 Timothy chapter 2. He is the perfect person to help us better understand this because he designs what our worship gatherings look like. Every detail is something he has prayed through and thought about, all with the goal of leading God's people in the worship of Jesus. After we learn more about the role of worship, look for Pastor Michael to explain what factors could be distracting the church body from the worship of Jesus. Let's listen in together as he explains, we are for peaceful worship of God. Well, good morning, church. Um, This is now the second week Pastor Todd has been uh, away on vacation. My understanding is he'll be traveling this afternoon and he'll be back tomorrow. So he'll be in town next week um, and he'll be back with us uh, next Sunday, which we're excited about. But we're continuing this series that we have called What's Church For? And I'm not sure if we'll get the projector back on, but I'm just going to talk like it's working fine. So we're asking the question, what's church for? And we, we started now with our reading from Genesis 3. And what had happened in that reading was God had made a perfect garden, a perfect environment, and people chose to serve themselves rather than to follow and love God. And so God tells them what's going to happen. It's the bad news. This is the curse of how things are going to work from now on until, um, until God fixes everything. That's for the end of the sermon. So we're going to get to where we're getting where we're getting there. But I want us to realize as we're asking this question, what's church for? I need you to realize something with me this morning. You are here. Right. If you're present, raise your hand. All right. We're all ready. We're awake. We're ready to go this morning. You're here. We came to church for something. So the question is, why are we here? We must see some kind of value in it because we came, we gathered together, we drove to the building, we put clothes on, some of us more bright colors than others of us, but we got dressed and we came prepared. What are we here for? What value do we see here? And as we look in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, the spoiler is that we're here to worship. And we're, what are we here to worship? We're here to worship God. So this chapter contains a lot of instructions for what church, what a Sunday morning, what a worship gathering is supposed to look like. And remember, like we talked about last week, the house rules are the clearest when you've already broken them. 
So as this letter was written to a church um, in a city called Ephesus, <clears throat> and uh, there were apparently some things going on on Sunday mornings that weren't super great. So we're going to deal with some hard issues this morning, but I, I want to ask you to be patient and walk with me all the way through the text because it all points back to Jesus and why we're here in the first place. Are we ready to do that? Yes, Miss Joan, ready. Let's do it. So if you want to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 2, that's the danger, 1 and 2. If you're using the story Bible this morning, it's on page 830. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to read the first seven verses. 1 Timothy chapter 2. First of all, then, I urge that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. So, <laughs> as we're looking at this first section, um, as we're looking at this first section, we, we see that peace in our normal life and peace in our worship both come from God. There's our normal lives, what we do on the day-to-day, -day, the, week, uh, the week throughout the rest of how we live our lives. And then there's also peace in our worship, and both of these things come from God. That's our big idea. We are for peaceful worship of God, which is a little bit of a vanilla statement, right? Like the, anybody coming to church this morning is like, no, I'm not here for peaceful worship. But there's a lot of baggage. There's a lot that we're going to unpack when we say peaceful worship of what that looks like. So I've used a vanilla statement because we're going to fill it with a lot of meaning this morning. And this first section is that peace in our normal life and peace in our worship both come from God. In these first two verses, our worship seeks to provide peace for our normal life. First of all then, in verse 1, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So hey, when we get together, church, what we're being admonished here is to pray for people. And, and, and I think Paul uses every single word for pray that he's got. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. He's like, hey, 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 however you're most comfortable praying, whether you read out of the Book of Common Prayer, or whether you make it up as you go, or whether you write your own prayers down before you pray them, however you're comfortable praying, pray for everybody when you get together. Especially for kings, rulers, people who are in authority, because those people 
are there and have the opportunity to either make your life difficult or to make your life peaceful. And this is, this is the, the low-hanging fruit. Do we want a peaceful life to live? Yes. <laughs> so when we pray for people, when we pray for people in leadership, our, our hope is that the communities that we live in will be communities of peace so that we can exercise our faith freely. If we had to go through minefields to get here this morning and to gather together, it might be a little bit of a deterrent for us to gather, correct? For us to get together, if we had to walk through landmines, we might be a little bit more hesitant to come. But if our nation was at peace, then we drive up, we park in the parking lot, we walk in, no problems. No armed guards, no checkpoints, easy. That reality exists for a lot of people in the world today. And if you're watching the news over the last couple of days, you realize that maybe our peace and our stability as a nation isn't as stable as it has been for the last decades. So when we gather, we pray for the people in government leadership. And as a church, as, as somebody who's part of the leadership team here, as somebody who's a pastor here, we haven't, I haven't led you guys to do a good job of this. We'd, I like to think there's a, separa- I, well, there's a separation of church and state, and so I don't get involved in politics, and politics can leave me alone. Like That's how I like to see things. That's how I like to segment things. But as we go through this chapter, we're going to see that there is no division between our regular life and our worship. That what's happening in our regular life is going ha- to bleed over into our worship, and what we do in our worship is going to bleed back over into our, into our regular life. And hopefully what we do in worship, when we do it well, will help our regular life go better. That's the model that we're going to see as we go. So, I say all that to confess to you as a church, I have not done well to lead us in praying for the leaders of our community, our government leaders. Um, you know, the, the people who run Ocala, the people who are in government in the state, the people who are government of the nation. Those are people we need to know their names, and we need to be praying for them. Because our internal worship, as we pray for those people, is an external witness. What if the conflicts in Ocala that, that get waged, and I don't know what they are, but I, I, I saw something about a community pool um, going on this week. If, what if the conflicts in Ocala suddenly were not nearly as head-to-head? That as we started to pray for peace in our community, that the community became more peaceful. Do you think God could maybe do that? And would that benefit just Grace Church? No. That would benefit the whole city. What we do here on a Sunday morning can benefit the whole city, whether they know or not. When you pray for people, they don't necessarily ever figure it out. And yet things happen in their lives, and God will, I promise you, God will use circumstances in their lives to point them back to Him. And when they get there, when they realize, God has been doing something even before I ever cared about Him, you look back and say, oh, you're the one I was praying for. So, 
Our worship seeks to provide peace for our normal life. That's one of the reasons why we read Isaiah 49, where what God was doing inside Israel was supposed to be a light to everybody outside of Israel. Israel was a special country, and what God was doing in a special relationship with them was supposed to bring light about who God was to everybody else. In the next couple of verses there, he says, This is good. It is pleasing in the sight of of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So here, the peace in life and worship is built on the gospel. When we realize that Jesus came and gave himself as a ransom for us, then we realize that our life It'll be sorted. It's not going to be easy. We're not praying for peace so that our life is easy, so that we don't have to worry about things being hard. We pray for peace so that the gospel can move freely. And that's where maybe my heart gets distracted. God, I want peace. Like in my family, I just want for there to be peace so that I don't have to worry about stress. Like, I don't want to be upset about stuff. But God's not growing peace in our community so that we can have an easier life. He's growing peace in our community so that the obstacles for us sharing the good news, sharing that Jesus has come, sharing that Jesus has reconciled us to God once and for all, that goes freely. It's one thing to thank God, thank you, God, for peace so I can sit back in my lazy boy and be comfortable. It's another thing to say, thank you God for peace so that I have the freedom to go and share that Jesus has reconciled himself to the world. He's made it so that you can have a relationship with God. Because God wants all. That's a word that shows up over and over again. This is good, is pleasing in the sight of God who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He's not just talking about the kings. He's not just talking about the leaders in the government. He's not just talking about the people that come to church. He's talking about the people who don't want anything to do with church. He's talking about the people who think they belong to a church but have no idea who Jesus is. And those are probably the most difficult people to talk to. The people who have an exposure to what church language is but don't actually know the significance of the good news that Jesus has paid for our sin. But notice... As I've said all of that, who is the mediator between God and man? Jesus. It's not on you, Tyler. You're not the mediator between God and man. Whoever it is in your life that you have been talking to, like you're not the mediator. Jesus is the mediator. We're his ambassadors. And that's a huge comfort to me. When I say hard things to people about things that are going on, it's not, I'm saying these hard things and you need to take it from me. It's like, hey, I'm here to deliver this message. If you've got a problem with it, let's deal with Jesus together. I'm here on behalf of him. He is the one who is doing this work in the world. Peace in life and worship is built on the gospel, that Jesus has paid it all. It's finished. And we want to bring that as his ambassadors to the rest of the community. Because check this out in verse 7. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith 
and truth. Our worship can totally change our normal life. What God does with us in times where we meet with Him, maybe in this kind of a situation, maybe it's at a concert, maybe it's at a conference, maybe He meets you on a dirt road somewhere in Syria. What God does with us in our times of worship can change our normal life. Your life might be different because of an encounter with God, and that's what Paul is saying. Hey, I got this message at exactly the right time, and it completely changed the trajectory of what I was doing. I was teaching, I was chasing down Christians, I was making sure that they were executed, no more problems, and now I'm following God, I'm trying to get the message out, I'm building roads, you know, and I'm preaching the message that I was trying to get out. But his life looked completely different. I don't even want to know how many pairs of sandals he went through, all the places that he walked, to share the good news and to build up churches as he went. There is no separation between your normal life and your church life. Just because we happen to meet here in this building, we like to think that maybe what happens here doesn't have to go somewhere else, but what God does in us changes the rest of our week. That's why we invite you on the connection cards every week, this morning God. What is God doing in this morning that he's asking you to live out through the rest of the week? There's peace in our normal life, and our worship comes from God. It's all dependent on Him. It's all founded on the gospel. It sounds like a lot of work, but it's work that's just been given to us as a gift. Does that make sense? Yes? C. All right, cool. Because we're, we're, this, has been pretty, this has been relatively easy. I hope it's been clear. This has been relatively easy. We're getting ready to go into uh, some more difficult territory. I need you to hang with me. Are we ready for this? I don't know if we are. I see some not. All right, here we go. We're going to go into this. We're going to read the whole section together, and then just like we just did, we're going to read the whole section together. We're going to come back verse by verse. So let's hang in together. We'll continue reading in chapter 2, verse 8. I desire then that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So our worship gatherings, when we come together, our worship gatherings are shaped by God. We get our instructions for how we gather from God for His purposes and what He wants to do with us. So the first couple verses, our worship gatherings must be peaceful, and they must be focused on God. I desire then in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. 
Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. So he does this thing where he says, I'm going to talk to the guys, and I'm going to talk to the girls. And he says it to the guys real short and sweet, because guys don't need a lot of words to get it, I hope. He says, hey guys, when you pray, pray with holy hands lifted up, without anger or quarreling. So if you want to be peaceful, then stop. you got to check your attitude. Are you praying in a way so as to get a message across, get a barb in to somebody across the room? Now, does that question strike you as a little bit odd? No. When you th- think, about, think about what he's saying. He says, hey, guys, when you pray, don't, don't pray with anger or quarreling. What's the assumption there? What's that? That you're going to pray. Hey, when we gather together as a, as a church in a worship gathering, men, hey, pray out loud so that other people can hear you. It's not just me. It's not just Pastor Ryan. It's not just Pastor Todd that are supposed to be praying. The vision here is for the men of the church to pray. And do it without anger. Do it without quarreling. Leave that stuff at the door. And hey, also, pray with holy hands. Guys, the Bible tells you to be expressive in worship, physically expressive in worship. We've, we've got this idea that, and I, and I, I play guitar as we're, as we're going, and so I do this a lot, and there's a lot of expression that I do in that. If I don't have a guitar, I'm not as expressive. But, but, but here's a biblical injunction that, hey, what you do with your hands is going to set the direction for how your heart goes. If you raise your hand and say, and you're praying, hey, God, I'm surrendered to you. This is all for you. I look silly. Like, yeah, maybe God wants you to look silly so that you realize that it's not about you. It's okay for us to be expressive, physically expressive, in worship, in prayer. Right, guys? Mm-hmm. If you say so. So focus on God. Focus your attention on God by being physically expressive. Be peaceful by checking yourself and your attitude and, and what you're praying about. Don't, don't, and we do this. We, we're really good at just saying something sideways. It's just for that one person. No, just cut it out. We're here to build each other up. And he says, for the women, um, and this is an instance where I, I hesitate because I know I'm not a woman. I'm, I'm, I'm clear on that fact. And so this is one of those instances where I I come not as the mediator, but as the representative of what Jesus is communicating. He says, hey, ladies, if you want to be peaceful, be peaceful by being purposeful in what you wear. You, you You all have jewelry and nice things, and that's fine. Realize that as much as you notice those things, so do other ladies. So when we come to church, are we coming to church to show off all of the nice new things that we have that, that our peaceful praying husbands got for us this week? Or are we coming together with an attitude of we're here for God, let me do what I can. I'll dress nicely, I'll be, I'll be presentable, but I'm not here to draw the attention to myself. Be peaceful by being purposeful with what you wear. 
and focus on God by serving, serving his bride. It says, instead of spending so much time getting dressed in the morning, come a little bit early and, and do something, good works. Serve his bride. Be known for how you serve, not necessarily how well you dress. So our gatherings must be peaceful and focused on God. Hey, let me just point out that if he has to say this to us, this is, this is where it's really easy to get wrong. We can really, really get easy. Yeah. We can very easily be focused on something other than God when we come together to worship him. It doesn't take more than a sideways remark, or not even something intentional, but there's, when we talk about people, talking to other people, our feelings get hurt. So when we come together to worship, we're here to focus on God, to be shaped by God. So we be peaceful. We focused on Him. And you've seen, I hope, I hope that you haven't, but I suspect that if you've been in church at all, you've been in a worship gathering that wasn't peaceful, that you could cut the tension in the, not, in, in the air with what was going on. And ain't nobody worshiping God in that kind of an environment. When there's anger, when people are staring daggers across the room, it's not happening. But if, if our worship is peaceful, it reflects well to the community as we're praying for the community. And that's the exterior witness. Let's continue on. <clears throat> because our gatherings complement God's design for our home. In verse 11, it says, let a, woman learn, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love <clears throat> and holiness with self-control. So I want to point out first in verse 11 when he says, let, women, let a woman learn in, in quietness and submissiveness. Hey, it wasn't a given in that culture that ladies were allowed in the room. So when he says, hey, let them come in. Let them be a part of the worship gathering. Let them learn with you. That wasn't a given. That wasn't something that the people in the text would have taken for granted. And it's likely that there were people saying, get the women out. Sub, like, and in the, you see this in some denominations today where they separate the women and the men in worship. And, and he's not saying that. He's saying, hey, come in together. Be together as you worship. And he also gives these instructions that he does not let a woman, um, or he did not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. The vocabulary that he's using there is stronger than he normally uses when he talks about teaching. He's not just talking about teaching. He's talking about like domineering and, and, and being super aggressive. Like, you've got to get this right. It's the attitude with which the teaching is coming. And so the picture that we get, remember where we started, the rules of the house are clearest when they're being broken. So I think what's happening here is he's got some ladies that are coming in and are being just as aggressive and being angry. And he's saying, hey, look, ladies, stop it. Sit down. Stop teaching. You're, you're being too aggressive. No one is learning. Because we'll remember all the way back in chapter 1 where he first started, there's people who are teaching who don't have a good understanding of what they're saying, and they're not even getting it right. So we know that this is a specific problem for this specific church that I think he's addressing very specifically. But he does that on the basis of the created order. 
He says, Adam was made first, and Eve was made second, and Eve was deceived. Now, when we read that, we read, Adam was made first, Adam is the winner, Adam is the best, Eve was made second, she wasn't quite good enough. That's not what he's talking about. When he's talking about the created order, first and second, he's not saying that one is of more value than the other. The value is equal, but we were created with different purposes, with different goals in mind. That's why we read from Luke 22, the very last night the disciples are arguing, who's the greatest disciple? Who's the one who loves Jesus the most? And who's the one who's going to be like the number one guy? And Jesus turns around and says, you've missed it. He says, that power structure that you're trying to articulate to each other, that you're vying for position, is completely backwards when you understand the gospel. Jesus says, I didn't come here so that I, so that I could, everybody would like, you know, follow me around, blah, 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 that I could be number one, that I could have all this power. He's like, I already have all the power. I don't need any more. I came to serve you. I am the first of creation, and yet I come and I bow, humble myself to a manger, and I serve you. So when we're talking about the created order, we're talking about different roles, not different values. And we realize that the first role is a role of service. Guys, if you've been given headship over the family, that's not so that you can like call the shots. It's, you're responsible to your family to serve your wife, to serve your children. That's the model of authority structure that Jesus set for us. And it's completely backwards to what we naturally want to do. But we're equal in value and we're designed for different roles. Notice he brings up childbearing. I'm not sure if you've noticed, there are some people in the world today who I don't think have, but men were not designed for childbearing. It's one of those instances where we're talking about worship and yet it's something that's very, very normal. That's our normal life. Men are not designed for childbearing. It shouldn't be happening. Um, but that's a key component of what God does in a woman. And I'm not sure exactly how to articulate this to you. This verse here is very, very confusing. If you read it, read it slowly. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, dash, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So he starts off with she, probably talking about Eve, and then in the middle of it talks about they, which is probably talking about the other ladies in Ephesus. And there's a lot of different ways that people like to spell this stuff out, but what I would like to say, and, and, and I'll just say this from my own perspective, there is a change in a woman when, when she becomes a mother. There is... <laughs> In the same way that there's change in a man and a wife when they get married, there's a change in a woman when she becomes a mother. There's a process of sanctification that happens in a very intense way. The, la the girl who is married is completely different from the girl, the mother. It's, there's a fundamental shift in your soul. And that's on purpose. There's something that God has done special in women. Women are so, so special. And I hope that as we've gone through this, I've been able to say clearly that there is no, I do not want you to understand me to be devaluing women by saying that there are different roles. Because their role is just as important. The things that women do in service is incredible. The primacy and the stories that Jesus tells about women in his life 
And, and the biographies about Jesus are incredible. The ministry that women do is not to be discounted. But we're seeing here that this church in Ephesus was getting something really messed up. And Paul had to point it out. Because we also talked about, at the very beginning, in Genesis 3, the curses. When, when humanity decided not to follow God, but to follow and serve himself, there were consequences. And a couple of the consequences are, one, life is going to be hard. There's going to be conflict between the genders. But then also that he was going to send a deliverer. From the very beginning where everything went wrong, God was saying, I'm going to provide salvation. I'm going to provide reconciliation for this. Everything is messed up from here on out, but I will provide a way. And then we come to chapter 2. There is one God and one mediator between God and men. Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Hey, hey, it's, that's what we come for. As we come to worship, we come celebrating the gospel, that Jesus has done the good work of taking people who were separated from God, who hated God, who had no way to get to God. He came and laid his own life down so that we could even sit and talk with him, so that we could pray to him in the times that we gather here. We could pray to him in the times that we pray to him at home. Anytime that we're speaking to God, we're able to speak to God because there's one God and one mediator, and it ain't us. Our faith is not dependent upon ourselves, but it's what Jesus is doing in us. It's what he's growing in us. And that's why we sing, and that's why we will sing, that he's our firm foundation. And that he is the only king forever. That our worship gatherings are shaped by God for his purposes. We're for peaceful worship of God. Does that, does that vanilla statement have a little bit more meat in it? Now that we've been through a bit of this? So how we worship in church matters because it is interconnected with our personal lives. What we do in worship is going to change how we relate to each other in our personal lives. What we do in our personal lives is going to affect what we do in worship. There's no division. So the church is for peaceful worship of God. Will you pray with me?